What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You're listening to Giants Croncast, a podcast chronicling the San Francisco Giants, featuring Brian Murphy and Doug Brazoni, part of FFSN, Fans First Sports Network. I mean, I, got, I have to admit, I'm like popped up on sweep juice right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably the best <laughs> series they've ever played at Dodger Stadium. I can't believe what happened. I'm still, I, I'm not vibrating. Vibrating is almost like a religious experience. I'm, I'm approaching apoplexy, apoplectic, Doug. The Giants swept the Dodgers in Dodger Stadium, and they, they kind of made it look easy. Yeah, they, they made the Dodgers look like the Dodgers always make the Giants look at the in their end of year series. Like, you know how they always play three games in San Francisco at the end of the year and the Dodgers make the Giants look like just idiots who don't who've never even heard of the game of baseball. That's what the Giants did to the Dodgers. It was great. I liked it. They should do it more. <laughs> right down to sort of that. Oh, look, it's really taut and tense. For a good while, you know, and then late in the game, the Dodgers would break it open. And this time around, it was the Giants doing that. What was it 2018? The the 15 to nothing score is yeah, what's standing out to me I here. I think so. <laughs> I think 2018 and 2019 both ended in sweeps by the Dodgers in San Francisco. Uh, let's see, 2018. Yeah, 15 to yeah, nothing. 15 and nothing, yeah. Yeah. The Friday game was a thriller, a taut game. The Giants were behind 4-0. They came back to take a 5-4 lead. Shades of that uh, Jonathan Broxton blown save. Do you remember that? The Juan Uribe home run to oh, give them yeah. the lead uh, yeah, in 2010. And then the Dodgers came right back, tied it up. Not surprising, not a fault of the Giants. It's kind of, at this point, the Dodgers are so good. It's like, oh, they should come back, and, and they did. And then the Giants went in extra innings. Thanks to Mookie Betts a little bit there too <laughs> going on. And then Saturday was uh taut and tense for about five innings. And then the giants just blew it open. And then even in Sunday's game for the first four innings or so five innings, it was, it was close. And Logan Webb was pitching like an ace. Tony Gonsolin was pitching like the, you know, the best starter that they have outside of Clayton Kershaw right now. And, and he was living up to it. And then, then, and then the giants just broke that game open too. I, I'm stunned. Seven wins in a row for the Giants, taking advantage of both the Cardinals and the Dodgers' weaknesses. I think that's the part of it that's... It, it shouldn't work, Doug. I shouldn't be able to look at fan graphs, and I shouldn't be able to go to player levels and look at certain and sort it by information, look at streaks. I shouldn't be able to look at it and go, oh, here's how the Giants can win and do well. None of us should have, be able to do this. There's supposed to be a mystery between fans and teams. And right now the Giants are, uh, it's surprising, but at the same time, it's really not a mystery. 
Yeah, I mean, the Giants just know the weaknesses of the other team and they're good enough to exploit it. You know, in in like 20, 2019, even last year, right? They knew the weaknesses that teams had. They're like, you know, we know if we can just, just knock the starter out after five innings, see a lot of pitches, get to the bullpen, then we'll be able to, to maybe have some success there. Bullpen's a little weak. Well, last year, they weren't good enough to knock the starter out in five innings. The lineup is just so deep now. I mean, there are individual guys you can criticize. You can say they're not they're not going up to like their potential, but they have so many hitters now that they're just they're just producing them out of the farm system. This is what we've been talking about. This is the the depth they have in the organization where they can just get another guy and Luis Matos will draw three walks in his second career game. And you'll be like, "Okay, I didn't I didn't realize he was that good at walking." <laughs> that'll knock out this that'll knock out the starter that'll bring the the relievers in a little faster the Dodgers bullpen has been awful and then the Giants can have success against them um and it was really almost inspiring to see I'm not inspired by things uh <laughs> but but you're like oh this team maybe can do anything like they're they're right there they're one of the best teams in the NL I think which is bizarre it is bizarre. Luis Matos is only the second Giant to score at least seven runs in his first four games. The Giants are 4-0 in those four games, by the way. Willie McCovey also scored seven, Doug. So we had already joked about this, that we're building the statue after his first at-bat being a hit. Well, uh, let's start Let's start uh, pricing out precious metals that are going to be needed for it, I think. Uh, but the Giants complete a 6-0 road trip. They got a sweep in Dodger Stadium for the first time since 2012. This is Alex Pavlovich's reporting. And it moved them into second place in the NL West. Their 29 runs in Dodger Stadium this weekend were the most ever in a three-game series there. So that's pretty cool. And again, unexpected. The Giants beating up on other teams' bullpens because their bullpen is so strong it's the biggest difference between the last two seasons. The other one is exactly what you said. They didn't have a Luis Matos last year. They didn't have a Patrick Bailey. They didn't have a Casey Schmidt, you know, and we can certainly get into that if you want. But they basically were let down by the guys they did have. And this year, that's been less of a situ- uh, less of a problem for them. And they have the depth to manage it. I'm not saying that to just repeat what you said, Doug. I'm simply pointing out that against a team that historically always finds a way to scrap and claw and win and against a team that is their rival and is what the pinnacle of what they're aiming for. The giants were basically able to outsmart and out depth both teams, which is the plan. It is the 2021 that we saw being repeated here. I can't believe it. (laughs) I I just just, can't believe it. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Just a few more stats because they're fun. The Giants won 15 nothing on Saturday. The last time the Dodgers lost 15 nothing at home uh, was in 1898 when they were called the Brooklyn Bridegrooms. That 15 nothing loss was the worst loss by the Dodgers of any kind uh, since the Giants beat them 19-3 to on September 14th, 2013. I remember that pretty um, well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Uh it's just been a long time since the Giants made the Dodgers look this bad. And I'm a fan. I like it. 
they should make the Dodgers. It's look so bad. satisfying. It's so sad. Yeah. It's also the first time the Giants swept uh, at Dodger Stadium since 2012. Uh, Ryan Terrio, shout out. So just, <laughs> I don't know. I just thought of who is the most random 2012 Giant, and he's he's up there. Uh, but Xavier Nady. Xavier, Xavier there we go. There we go. All right. I like that. Uh, it's not only fun, it made me think, I tweeted this the other night. I really do. This is just for the uh, Buffy Angel heads out there. It really does seem like Dodgers fans, at least on social media, are reacting like they got shot by Lorne instead of <laughs> slayed by Angel. Uh, they're the Lindsay in this situation. But for sure, the I have to imagine it's a surprise to everyone. I'm sure the Giants are extremely confident that if they ex- execute their game plans that they can pull off what they did. But Doug, up to six games ago, up until this week, there was still that question of like, are they stuck in that 500 vortex? Are they breaking out of it? They've broken out of it. Yeah, I mean, a good way to to break out of it is to win seven straight games. Yes. I think that'll that'll work. Yeah, that'll do. So one last thing sort of about this series, and maybe we'll, we'll revisit it later on in another segment. But for now, was there anything that you really... That was your favorite part of the series, besides all the cool stuff we already mentioned. <laughs> I mean, you, you have to go with that play on Friday night um, <laughs> where, it, you know, the Giants had a two-run lead. The Dodgers hit an infield pop-up. Casey Schmidt had trouble getting to it in time. Uh, and then just everything went crazy. Uh, <laughs> so if you didn't see it, I've already set up the beginning. Casey Schmidt let an infield pop up kind of by the pitcher's mound drop. Um, it kind of, his like arm was extended. It looked like he wasn't in great position. He might've been trying to avoid the pitcher who was sort of standing there. Mm-hmm. Um, but so then, you know, the ball drops, the pitcher is Jacob Junis, picks it up, throws it to first base. He later said he had no idea why he threw that ball. Um, <laughs> throws it wild, just down the line. The Dodgers start running. Mikey Yastrzemski goes to get the ball. And then both Dodgers are, are going to be at the same base. Yastrzemski runs it in, throws it to Crawford. They get the lead runner out in a rundown. Uh, Junis tags him out and then throws the ball back to third. And they ask him, he's like, I don't know why I did that either. Uh, it's, <laughs> he was full on Greg Tamlin ju- in that, in exactly. that play. <laughs> I'm not doing justice to the play. I think the only justice that you can do to that play is John Miller calling it a Greek tragedy. But uh, <laughs> it, it was an incredible play that just, you watch that, you're like, baseball, baby, we're back. I definitely did the, because I had to show uh, my wife this because she's not a baseball fan, but I had to show her because I thought she'd appreciate it. And I basically pulled the, do you remember the Star Trek, the next generation where the enterprise kept being destroyed over and over again? Yes. And I it's, do. and, and data in the conference room is like, because they're able to pick up some audio echoes from the previous loops. He's like, I've isolated three key segments from, the, from this audio. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was for me to my wife. I'm like, I have isolated three key moments from this audio. And John, John Miller is saying disgraceful, unthinkable, a Greek tragedy. <laughs> So that you took what is the best, the most memorable part of the weekend outside of all the other incredible numbers. We anytime you get a bridegroom's reference brought in there and it's something that's being yeah. inflicted upon the Dodgers. Oh, my God, this is like history for sure. But I also want to just give an honorable mention 
to Lamont Wade Jr. leading off going three for five with four RBI on Saturday night. An easy to forget guy for some reason. I got to be honest. I don't know why he's so easily forgotten, but he is. And uh, and he was a key part of that game. The other one you could mention is our next topic. (laughs) See that buttery transition there, Doug. Brandon Crawford. Since returning from the IL on May 14th, he's hitting 288, 365, 379, and he has a Major League Baseball historic 0.00 ERA. (laughs) He's fantastic. Since he pitched in that game, he's had 23 plate appearances, and he's hitting about 470. He's hitting about 450 with the 500 on base and slugging 450. Doug, this is what I had hoped about for, and I just assumed you were hoping with me that we would get to see Brandon Crawford again for even a little brief period of time, one more time, one more again before he was gone. Brandon Crawford is at this point, like the last franchise icon that they still have on the team. Logan Webb could get there. He's obviously a star. He's a great pitcher, but Crawford is the link back to all those great years and watching him be good again. If it's for a week, if it's for a couple weeks, I, it's fine. Like it's, it's great to see him have that good stretch to know that there still is that kind of baseball left in him. And you just kind of enjoy it. He's probably not going to be playing that much longer. And so just being able to to watch him have a four for four game um, and then, you know, follow it up by going one for three with a double. It's, it's fun. And still playing that, that good shortstop, still just watching him take ground balls and make plays and, and enjoying that while you have it. It's important to appreciate that kind of thing. The flash last year was the one that showed me of like, I think he just, I want to believe it's, I was never hoping that he would come back and be like a 120 OPS plus player. That was not what I was thinking heading into this year. I mean, I think after last year off of 2021 being what it was, you could kind of very easily say, okay, well, that's it. And then we saw, it's like, no, the glove, his glove, the thing that's always been the thing. And then seeing both the glove and the bat kind of fail him this year, not kind of actually fail him this year was sad, but I just, Doug, it's one of the few times I just didn't lose hope. I was just like, we're going to see a two week spurt and I, we're in it. (laughs) He's at a plus two outs above average, which is not great, but I seem to recall it being negative at some point earlier in the season or as recently as right as he went on the IL. So in about a month, he's turned it around. I could be making that up. I'm not sure, but I'm just going to go with it for now. I think it's very easy for players in his situation to become obnoxious to kind of gripe about things, to kind of rage against the dying of the light, in other words. But instead, I think turning into or, you know, going with the wind and seeing which way it blows you is, is, uh, well, that sounded weird. Uh, I think that's very good. He's been a team player. I wonder how much him being, you know, this being his his childhood team, I wonder how that influences matters too. I got to imagine it can't hurt, but it's just really heartening. I feel heartened, Doug. Almost as much as what the Giants did to the Dodgers this past weekend, I feel as heartened seeing Brandon Crawford <laughs> have these two weeks. Your 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 heart just grew three sizes. That's right. <laughs> All right. For our next little bit here, I want to talk about Mike Yastrzemski because he gets lost in the sh- in the shuffle pretty easily, at least in my brain. But the Giants tweeted out before Sunday's game that he uh, was appearing in his 500th career major league game 
uh, an accomplishment in in so many ways, right? The Giants sort of got him on a lark. The Orioles had, you know, basically determined he was a four A guy or a minor leaguer. He's the grandson of Carl. And the Orioles Carl had too many good players. Yeah, you know? <laughs> just you know, had no room for him. The thing about the <laughs> Orioles, just a packed roster. So 500 career games, all with the Giants. He's got about a 787 OPS for his career, a 114 OPS plus hitter, 81 home runs. Uh, on Sunday, he went two for four in that game. He actually raised his OPS on the season to 766. Certainly in his first couple of seasons, his first three seasons with the Giants, it was basically like, yeah, Yaz is our guy. He is the main cock of our offense. And I think in these last two seasons, it's, settled down to more like he's important to the team. He's not the linchpin of the team, but I don't know, a little Mike Yastrzemski appreciation here, Doug. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he came up in 2019 and he and Alex Dickerson were the, like the two signs of hope that they had, that maybe this team had something for the future. Um, and then obviously Dickerson fell off a bit in 2021, uh, <laughs> but but, you know, Yastrzemski has been, if not a star, at least a solid player. Um, and they they can trot him out there every day. He'll give you a good at bat. He'll he'll have some power. He's probably not going to be a like a 900 OPS guy. A nine, sorry, a 968 OPS guy like he was in the short 2020 season. But he's going to be he's going to be a good major league player. And, it, you know, that's an important thing to have. He's he's done a good job. Um, I think everyone's happy to have him on the team and he's, he's just kind of fun to watch. He's solid in the outfield. You don't notice any mistakes in his game. I, it seems like I'm damning with faint praise kind of, but like, he's just an important player to have. You need that kind of guy in your team. Yeah. I'm going to make a really bad analogy that doesn't fit. He is not Buster Posey, but he falls into, I can only explain it in this way. I remember on this podcast or some iteration of it that I've said, Buster Posey's great. He should not be the linchpin of your lineup. You know what I mean? Like his bat's extremely valuable. He's also a catcher, but the Giants needs, he needs to not be the middle of the order guy. And then it, who cares? He, he was, and it worked out fine. But Mike Yastrzemski came out and it's like, okay, the Giants have an outfielder, just as Doug said. But at this point, not to damn him with faint praise, he does not, he cannot be the guy, the middle of the order hope that that they had needed him to be. And so he hasn't, and he's been performing well to that point. So I think it's just a matter of the perspective shift, all of us being so desperate for the Giants to figure things out. And it is interesting that you said that the Giants basically picking up some other team's cast-offs was our first flicker of hope yeah. in the Zaidi <laughs> I mean, that is very telling. Uh, but, you know, he what he's been doing, he's played two-thirds of his game games in center field. He has a 76 percentile outs above average. His outfielder jump is fantastic. He plays solidly above average defense, in center field, extremely valuable. He's not Luis Matos, obviously, but you know his chase rate this year has been good. His power has been fine. He's been a very competent hitter, and if not for injuries, playing a little bit more would have been. Int- it would be interesting to see what a few more plate appearances would do. But his exit velocity looks great. His max exit velocity. He's hitting the ball basically uh, pretty hard most of the time, as hard as he has in his better seasons, six and a half or 10% barrel rate in uh, 2020, it was 10.9, 2021 is 10.3. So, you know, actually a little bit down more all the way around, but his weighted uh, on-base percentage 
contact on on base percentage is 400. So it's an improvement over the last two years. I guess it's just worth talking about him in the sense of like, here's a solid player who had a certain degree of expectations, didn't maybe live up to what the unrealistic expectations are, but I think he's living up to exactly what the Giants had hoped he would be. He's he's a good player, mm-hmm. and you can like nitpick that, but oh god, I'm about to do a saving cliche. At the end of the day, <laughs> it's good. <laughs> Use um, it. <laughs> it's it's good. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, uh, you know that's what you want. You want to have that kind of guy who you can pencil into the lineup and not worry about any part of his game. Um, and that's that's what he is. That's what he's doing a good job with. He's not going to be a Hall of Famer like his grandfather, but. You do, not everyone can be that. The thing that he is, is good and helpful. And I like him. If you've been listening to our show and if you've been reading where we write, if you've been um, you know, following any of the analytics, if you've been listening to what Farhan Zaidi says, if you remember what Brian Sabian said, you know, teams cannot be built on all-stars alone. And in fact, sort of the, the more star power you have, the more likely you are to going to be just extremely top heavy with no depth. And that costs more. And so the Giants, the value proposition, I say that word and I say it and it sounds negative, but you know they have to put together some sort of a team and they want to find as many good players as they can. And when they can afford to get great players or when one of their players develops into a great player, that's what you're hoping for. But you add that to a good group. And having a Mike Yastrzemski on any team, this version of him, every team except the A's because the A's suck, uh, would want to have him on the team. <laughs> but that's that's uh, not a light thing to say. It is very hard to put together a roster of good players top to bottom. And after several years, I think the Giants have gotten there. Doug, what's something you found interesting about the Giants this week? Uh, I found it interesting that... Uh, they won all their games. <laughs> um, um, no, so that the it was a six and zero road trip. I believe I saw the note that it was only the fifth six and zero road trip they've had in the San Francisco era. Oh, the sixth or the it was the the fifth perfect road trip of at least six games. So maybe they had a seven and zero at some point. Um, and it's the second that's happened since Gabe Kapler was the manager. Um, so, I mean, it's really it's really impressive for them to go on the road and win six straight games. I mean, it's impressive to win six straight games in any context, but on the road against teams that, you know, the Cardinals should be better than they are, at least offensively. The Dodgers, you know, are the Dodgers. So you look at teams with that kind of pedigree and the kind of talent that is still on their rosters, um, and that makes it even more impressive. The... Uh, you remember the the one note about Friday's game? We didn't even mention the Dodgers had a no hitter through like six innings. Right, um, they had a four nothing lead and like a no hitter going. You're like, well, all right, that's going to be a loss. And the Giants came back. The there was a Cardinals game that I think uh, they also had a no hitter fairly late into the game, and the Giants came back and won. That they're showing a ton of resilience. They're showing uh, obviously great pitching, especially from the bullpen, and. They're, they're doing everything you could hope for. Oh, I also forgot to mention, Doug, I made two predictions in that series, and only one of them came true. Uh, Patrick Bailey, I said, would throw out a base runner. He did, and uh, he got he Mookie did. Betts. Um, that was cool. A very big play, too. Yes, and I predicted Blake Sable would hit a home run. He did not, but he had an, R- he had an RBI hit, so I don't know. I was 
I was mostly correct. That's fair. Um, one thing I found interesting about the Giants from this past week is that their prospects are really good, Doug. And that could mean <laughs> that we might actually see Kyle Harrison this week. Yeah, it's possible. The Alex Cobb hitting the IL, and they've brought back Alex Wood. They brought back Tristan Beck. They brought back uh, Keaton Wynn. You know, so they have those three guys. I wrote about this yesterday that the Beck situation is what made me go, well, are, is the Kyle Harrison thing for sure? Tristan Beck's already been optioned three times this year. I think you can only option up to five times. So there's a part of me that's like, okay, it makes sense then. Okay, Tristan Beck's going to fill in and be like the Manaya bulk guy or just start the game or something. But he also pitched four innings on Saturday to get a save, which I love that the Giants are just like winning games. They're like, here, come up and get a four inning save, Rook. <laughs> it's like, no problem, Skip. <laughs> it's just happening. But uh, so I guess what I'm saying is like, we've got Matos, who I saw someone online say, oh, the Dodgers are treating uh, Luis Matos like he's Ronald Acuna. And I'm like, great, I'll run with that. That's great <laughs> comp, fine with me. And I mentioned this the other day in our last show where it was like he does have a certain swagger or confidence to him. You know, un, he was completely uncowed by the, what is it? Is that cowed? He wasn't cowed by the Dodgers this weekend. Uh, so it, they were walking him. How many walks did he have? Four in the series? It is just like, okay. Walk him at your peril. That's what I was saying to the TV on Saturday, which the TV can't talk back to me, which shows you how crazy I am about baseball. But this, what I find interesting is that everything has worked out so well that we actually are in a legitimate situation where Kyle Harrison could make his debut this week against the Padres, maybe Tuesday. That was what Alex Pavlovich threw out there as a day to come in. Be very interesting to see him face Juan Soto. Be very interesting to see him rematch with Fernando Tatis Jr. as they had a bit of a kerfluffle during Tatis Jr.'s um, uh, rehab earlier in the minor league season. So that's why I find it interesting. What about you? Anything else? Just the way the bullpen has been so good. We've talked about the bullpen a lot. We have a recurring bit every month about the bullpen. <laughs> but I mean, just watching them shut down other teams night after night, it's it's so impressive. And it's something you can take for granted. Because any individual reliever who comes in and doesn't allow a run is normal, right? So, like, if you have a seven, eight, nine, where like Tyler Rogers and Taylor Rogers and Camilo Duvall pitch a squirrel inning, okay, fine, yeah, yeah, good, that's what they're supposed to do. But like, how often does that actually happen in normal times? You know, uh, three guys. If you have three relievers, each have an ERA of three, so they're all having good seasons. They pitch three innings between them. You'd expect one run to be given up, um, and so. Watching that not happen is the sort of thing that in the moment you're excited about, you're happy about, but then you kind of take it for granted a little bit just because, you know, you're just watching guys do, do their job. They do a good job. Well, they're doing a lot better than I think anyone could have expected, and I, I applaud them for that. So I said this to the Cardinals when I was on the Fans First Sports Network's Cardinals podcast, Meet Me at Musial, and... I said, it's just a really solid group. I basically named every reliever when asked who are the standouts. <laughs> and But one of the other things, and I already repeated this, so you've already heard this on our last show, but I, what I also said was that if the Cardinals were to you know, get to the Giants' bullpen, it would be because the Cardinals' hitters earned it. And that is not, and that was because that's how well the Giants' bullpen is going right now. So on Friday, when the Giants took a 5-4 lead and they couldn't, remember they had like one or two opportunities to maybe drive in one extra run and they couldn't do it. 
there, there's part of me is like the Dodgers lineup for all the criticism, whatever struggles the Dodgers are having this season, the lineup has not been really been the problem. So the idea of the Giants blowing this lead was not inconceivable to me. And we saw that happen. The Dodgers lineup, you know, they because those things happen in relief thing and relief outings. But guess what, Doug? That was a bullpen game. The Giants have been using their bullpen the whole game. And then when they lost the lead, they were able to hold on, uh, keep it even, and then reclaim the lead and hold on to it again, of course, thanks to some bad base running. But the fact remains is that the bullpen, they are really leaving it to, okay, if we can't get to the starter, we're going to get to your bullpen. And the Giants lineup is designed to get to bullpens quickly. And I don't know, it's just, it shouldn't work. It's what I open the show with. It shouldn't work that we can look at a, a sheet of numbers on two sides and go like, well, that's better than the other and that's going to win. And it's just the Giants have caught the Cardinals and the Dodgers right when their bullpen's pants are around their ankles is really <laughs> what it seems like. They, like all the stuff that was negative coming into both series sustained through those series. And yes, your point is com- we're completely jinxing them. You can't count on a bullpen top to bottom, one one to seven, to perform the way it has. It's astonishing. Yeah, it is astonishing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Brian, what's something you found concerning about the Giants this week? I don't like the umpires with their BS strike zones. I found it very concerning <laughs> right, we- <laughs> that they were getting so many terrible calls against them, and very specifically them. Uh, it was not going the other way with the Dodgers as well. We just talked about how the Giants were unable to add on in the Friday night game. And the reason is because the ump called ball four to Mike Yastrzemski with the bases loaded strike three. If he hadn't done that, that game doesn't go to extras. Yeah, I didn't I, like that either. Not a fan. Uh, it definitely seemed like the umpire, what, stepped on a ball or something like two. It's like he seemed like he was he was there for the the rookie's debut on Friday, whoever can't remember his name now who the Dodgers had debuting. Um, but yeah, it, I'm not a fan. I find, I don't know how concerning it is, but I do find it a little concerning that Logan Webb um, is still not getting the calls befitting a guy of his stature status. And I guess what I'm asking is not favoritism. I'm asking for like a better strike zone. That's called more accurately. I think he got a bad, he got a bad call or two on Sunday as well that were just quite irksome. And I thought we were better than this. I thought we had moved beyond it. A big part of that rookie's debut on Friday, because I also don't remember his name. <laughs> Rate us five stars on iTunes, everyone. Uh, is Was because he was getting that pitch like two to three inches above the strike zone. So Giants had, hitters had to swing at it. So they kept popping up the ball. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, it, it's not like taking anything away from him necessarily. If you get that call, you keep going there. And he kept locating in exactly the right place. So he was doing exactly what he needed to do. but. That's not a call that you can give a pitcher. So it it's one of those things that is a little bit like we need the umpires to do better on that. And uh, I have I've only heard basically from Roger about the automated ball and strike system in, in the minors. It still needs a lot of tweaking apparently, but you have to think that kind of performance is why it's coming. All right. I'm going to give you a clue and see if you can figure out who the Friday starter was. So the last okay. name, the last name mm-hmm. uh, is shared with, but he's not related to as far as I can tell, although they are both from New York, uh, shares it with a, uh, at least in our circles, a known 
analytics saber writer. Nope. Okay. And then, oh, no. and then, um, Doc Brown. What what is Doc Brown's full name? Because that's his first name is contained within that. Oh, Doc God. Brown from Back uh, to the Future. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. All right, I I will give you the first name is Emmett. Uh, Emmett. Emmett Saberist. Sarah. <laughs> Emmett Law. No, it's Emmett Sheehan. And Emmett I definitely, Sheehan. I completely yeah. blanked. Yeah. I was never going to get that. <laughs> uh, Doug, anything you found concerning about the Giants this week? Well, Brian, I have to say the injuries. Mm. I don't like all those injuries. Um, so as, a, as we're reporting, we don't know. We know that Casey Schmidt's x-rays were negative. Um, so like there's no break. But just this week, you know, Mitch Hanniger, Wilmer Flores, Scott Alexander, Alex Cobb, they all got injured. We don't know that Alexander is going to go on the IL. Am I missing one? I feel like I'm missing one. Anyway, there have been a lot of injuries just on this road trip. And the Giants can handle it, but just barely at this point. I mean, one more and they're going to be in some trouble. So, I mean, if, if Schmidt's out, they can call up uh, Brett Wisely. If they need another bullpen arm, it would basically have to be Sean Jelly, which is not ideal. But that's that's about it. They're pretty tapped out on the 40-man. So Ross Stripling is rehabbing. Is he re- rehabbing? Okay. As but of he's the 13th. Probably not ready yet. He's probably not ready yet. So, I mean, it's just it's tough to watch all these injuries happen in such short succession. You got Brebia and Wilmer Flores? And Brebia. I, got, I did not get yeah. Brebia. That's what I was yeah. missing. Yeah. So, um, you know, they have the depth to cover the injuries they have right now, but one more will really test their, their roster building. Yeah. And I really do think now that we're talking about it and looking at it, it almost seems like an imperative. I, I don't see how they're going to go to Sean Jelly, but it almost seems like it's got to be Harrison at this point. He just had his first five-inning start. Um, I don't know. I just don't know if the Giants can keep doing, and as much as about the the depth that you're talking about, how many of these four inning guys they can afford to have. Someone's got to be able to go five, and I, I wouldn't put Harrison necessarily on that list. I will look at Sean Jelly's line, though, in AAA right now. He would not start, no question. He's certainly not performed well enough in the major leagues to deserve a start. It is remarkable that he and David Villar, though, are such good friends, Doug, because very similar performances between AAA and the majors. Uh, in eight starts so far, Sean Jelly this season in AAA has pitched 33 innings. He is one and one with a 4.09 ERA, and he has 26 strikeouts against 10 walks uh, with four hit by pitches. Uh, so solid, 1.3 WHIP. Um, that's he's been pretty solid. But in the majors, it's been a complete disaster. And I don't expect that to change suddenly because of reasons like because he's been yeah. because he's been well in triple A. He'll just come up and do well in the majors. That's not how it works at all. So something's got to give. I think this is going to be a really important week, but I also feel like they've got to have some sort of confidence about their player development arm being able to come up. And I would say even on the pitching side, right? Pitching is even more scientifically 
driven with uh, with biomechanics and all that stuff. Sequencing, it seems like it's almost easier to, to follow a scouting report and have success if, from the pitching side of things than from the hitting side of things. I mean, pitching is always hitting has always been more difficult. But yeah, Doug, I'm talking through your very very reasonable concern here, and you know it'll be a big week. All right, let's make sure we end on this positive note, though. I really want to end on this positive note. The Giants are good. Okay, that's right. <laughs> are they are they really good? We're going to find out. They're going to play the Padres this week for four, and then they're going to face the Diamondbacks at the end of the week. We'll preview the Diamondbacks series on our Thursday show. The Padres are scuffling. They're not uh, performing up to where you know they were expected to be, which is fighting for first place right now. It's always a tough series, regardless of where either team is on the spectrum. That can be anywhere from the Padres being good to annoying. We'll find out what's going to happen this week. Uh, but Doug, can you believe it? The Giants are good. The Giants are good. They swept the Cardinals. They swept the Dodgers. All is right in the baseball world other than the injuries. And we're happy. Happy podcast. <laughs> uh, and also my tweet just absolutely being rammed down my throat where I was like, they're not going to escape plus or minus two from 500 <laughs> check in after the Dodgers series and we'll see. Well, here we are and they're doing just fine. Uh, so 39 and 32 and as they head home for a seven game homestand, that will be exciting. In second place, second yes. place, better uh, run differential than the Dodgers. Second best run differential in the NL. Doug, where will you be writing about the giants this week? I'll be writing at giantsdoug.substack.com where I write Tuesdays and Thursdays. Catch me there. And before we actually officially log off this week, I probably cowardly put this at the end because I am going to say something that means a lot to me. And so I imagine this is where some listeners will tune out for reasons. And that is the Dodgers were protested by out-of-state religious fanatics and protests of the Dodgers honoring the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence as part of their, the Dodgers Pride Night celebration. A lot of this protest was because of what's going on in our country and that there's quote unquote culture wars as a sort of marketing gimmick for radical assholes who are trying to confuse the issues of social justice and economics, and basically get us all fighting against each other. And by doing that, making each, us hate each other, the LGBTQI plus community, they exist. If you've ever been to a pride parade, if you've ever mocked a pride parade, if you've ever read about a pride parade, you've heard we're queer, we're here, get used to it. That is what the premise of all pride months, that's what it's about. They exist. They exist in this world. And so this idea that people will protest honoring people who serve these communities, keeping in mind that baseball teams serve communities. They're a part of the community that they're in, which means that they are connected to the people in those communities. And so to say that your team should not honor people in your own community says that you do not honor the people in that community. You do not respect these people. And you can say whatever you want about, oh, hate the sinner, not the sin. This is all words of civility and formal language to cover up savagery. You're trying to deny people the right to exist. It's not human. I'm not going to say it's not American. Hate is at the core of our country and putting people in boxes and banishing people and treating people that you perceive as lesser than terribly. That is all driven, built into our culture. And it's very sad. 
but as a baseball podcast talking about baseball issues, it's only a matter of time before this affects the Giants in some way. A shame on Clayton Kershaw, I would say, for making this an issue and conflating what is happening as a, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence uh, as some sort of like affront to the Catholic Church. It's um, it's kind of a BS argument being made by by Christians. There's a distinct difference between you know uh, born again Christian groups and Catholic Church, and the idea that one is defending the other for some reason is just a patently absurd thing to see happening as a again a formal cultural like civil disagreement. But what's covering up is the truth is that some people don't want other people to exist and. I disagree with that. And I'd like to point out that you should look around at the people around you and look out for the vulnerable people around you. Now is the time to take a stand and watch people's backs to care about each other. That's what the time is for. I, when, when Kershaw basically said that's, you know, that they're bad sisters of perpetual indulgence. I don't like them. That was kind of the first black mark really against Clinton Kershaw in my book. Um, they're a group that does really important work with a, a community that uh, has been discriminated against for a long time. They had their start taking care of AIDS patients when almost no one else would. And so to see Kershaw say it's, it's against Christian values to support that group uh, because he doesn't like how they, how they talk about Catholics it it was uh bullshit bullshit yeah that's the word and it was it was something that he should be ashamed of um and i know that trevor williams and blake trinan chimed in agreed with him and they both suck so whatever but it's just the work that needs to be done they're the people doing it um, and so to hate them because you don't like how they're doing it, you don't like how they're thumbing their noses at the people that have been thumbing their noses at them for a really long time. Now, Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence are the heroes here. And if you can't see that, then you need to reexamine your values. Go Giants. <laughs> Go Giants. <laughs>